For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. I'll start with you, Randy. How you doing today? Happy New Year. Hey, I'm doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I am doing great. Thank you. All excited for 2023. Hey, Jake, how's 2023 treating you so far today? You know, it's treating me pretty good so far, but it is pretty early in the year still. (laughs) That's right. Well, I don't know if the best is yet to come, but I don't know. You know, we have all great hopes and faith that 2023 is going to be better. We're going to try to make it a really good one. But as you said, we just don't know. So that's the purpose of this show is to help people to plan for the unexpected and to have have a plan that's not going to leave us, as you say, flapping in the wind if things don't go right. On today's show, gentlemen, we want to talk about a lot of things. We've got a new feature that we're going to be doing today that is fascinating fun facts about money. But let's start off with current events. Something that I read that was interesting, Jake, was the fact that the S&P 500 did something that it's only done seven times ever. You know, the market was down 19.44%, I believe was the exact number from January 1st, 2022 to December 31st, 2022. Yeah, that's a pretty good size one-year decline. Now, I think it's important to note that there has been more declines than that throughout history. They just did not occur from January to December and, you know, fall on the calendar that way. So it's there's been quite a few times where there's quite a bit steeper declines that went from March to March, but it doesn't show mm-hmm. up the same way on January to December. But yes, it was a tough year. And I think that a lot of people are feeling that, you know, usually when the market is down 20%, the average person is down 10 or 12 or 13 because they have a certain amount of bonds in their portfolio. But the problem is bonds were also down 16, 17% last year. And so basically everybody's feeling almost every bit of that 19% down and I think that it's it's one of those things where you got to have a plan you know right. if you had just retired and you were pulling a five or six percent withdrawal and all of a sudden 2022 hits you that that really kind of kicks you hard and I think that people that are not having a plan that are just kind of throwing it in the market and hoping for the best they better hope that 2023 is better than 2022 because the potential for 2023 to have some problems is definitely there I'm not saying it's necessarily gonna go down but we're definitely not done here yet anybody that was walking around or shopping or going to malls or going out to eat over the holidays here the last few weeks. I'm sure those people can tell you that people don't know there's a recession yet. Mm-hmm. People are still spending like there's no tomorrow. We're at all-time high credit card debts by quite a lot now. But one of the big differences is we're at all-time high credit card debt at very high interest rates. You know, it's one thing when your average credit card debt is, you know, 6 or 7%, but some of these store cards are oh, yeah. 30% right now. You know, the Kohl's card or the some of those cards are, are just astronomical. Um, and I think that that is going to come back to bite some people. 
the average person has money to last through June or so uh, as far as savings and being able to make payments on these cards and things. And so as we approach June, as interest rates continue to go higher, it could be, as Elon Musk said on January 1st, he said, I don't know what 2023 is going to bring, but I can promise you it won't be boring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what does it take for people to realize that we're in a recession? I mean, if they're not feeling it now, they're still spending like there's no tomorrow. What is it going to take before they put the brakes on things and say, wait a minute, this is not good? We still haven't seen any real job loss. And that's going to be the main thing, right? Because right now, because everybody still needs to hire as much as they can possibly hire. Again, over the holiday break, I'm sure you noticed that everybody's still hiring. Everybody's short-staffed. A lot of businesses have signs, especially retail and food service. They have signs on their counter that say, please be nice to our staff, <laughs> which is basically like, that's crazy. But but they're concerned that if you're not nice to the staff, they'll quit and they'll <laughs> be even more short-staffed than they yeah. are right now. Right. Yeah, you know, I had a, I had a lady... I went out to a restaurant here not long ago. I took my mother-in-law out for dinner for her birthday. I was asking the manager, I said, hey, how's it going? You know, and she said, well, you know, we have good days with employees and we have bad days with employees. And she said, but you know, the strangest thing is, she said, I just can't correct anybody anymore to help them do better. I said, Hmm. what do you mean? She said, well, if I do, they cry. (laughs) (laughs) And she she was serious. So, wow. yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting myself. I mean, I don't want to make anybody cry, but at the same time, (laughs) you have to be managed. And, you know, sometimes it takes correction you know, at work. Well, of course. <laughs> and, and I think, Randy, that that is, that's maybe one of the biggest things that's going to have to shift is, that's what I mean by the job loss thing is right now we're so understaffed everywhere mm-hmm. that nobody's correcting anybody. No, nobody's, uh, like you said, you know, if they show up late, they don't correct them because if they do, they may quit or they're, they're going to cry all day or whatever. And I think there's a lot of things in the job market that are going to have to get corrected. And the biggest reason why it's important in the jobs market is because that's where all the inflation's coming from is competition for what few workers are available is creating these big pay increases year over year for people and which is what's driving inflation and so by definition, they will have to break that to fix inflation. I mean, they have to. The question is whether they're going to break it early this year or late this year, or if they're going to kick the can into next year. The sooner they fix it, the less problematic it will be. If they do kick the can into next year, you know, it could be much more violent uh, if they don't fix it now. So I think that, like Randy said, you know, the overall employee demeanor is very interesting. Yeah. And, and I think that's a symptom of not being corrected. You know, it's kind of like kids, you know, if you never correct your kids, they get spoiled pretty rotten. And I think employees are the same way. And until, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's great employees everywhere. I'm just saying that people are a little jaded in the job market, especially in the, the lower to middle jobs market right now. Yeah, I was in a major department store recently and tried to buy something. I think it was a pair of sweatpants or something like that. And I was looking around and I realized there's no cash register. There's no place for me to pay for this anywhere. It seems on this floor to get on the escalator and go upstairs to the housewares department to find anybody, you know, who could uh, help me pay for this. So it is an interesting thing. And another thing that I've realized with employees, too, some are overwhelmed. They're really apologetic about that. But others that I've run into, particularly sometimes in fast food restaurants, I don't go there as much anymore, 
but they're just downright angry. <laughs> I don't know. Have you experienced that, Jake? Yeah, I have. And I think that a lot of times when you get service, either fast food or even sit-down restaurants, you know, the employees sometimes act like you owe them. You oh, know? yeah. Uh, not that they need to provide service to get paid. And I think that, again, that's part of this warped mentality that's going on that I, I promise you it will correct itself. You know, the question is, is, is how bad does it have to hurt to correct itself? And so as we look toward 2023, I think that's kind of what we have our eye on is the Fed and the jobs market and how quickly we're going to satisfy these problems, I guess, that we have right now. And so there could be a lot of opportunity toward the back half of 2023. But I think that, you know, the first half of 2023, in my opinion, is going to be volatile for sure. Whether which direction, it's hard to say. It depends on several other factors. Well, there's this disclaimer sometimes that you hear on financial products that says something like past performance is not indicative of future results. And I'm reading that <laughs> yeah. in, in four of the six times before 2022 that the S&P fell by 19.4% or more, the index jumped by at least 23.5% in the subsequent year. There's a clear big bounce after bad year trend, but do you think that that is going to be the case this year? As you said, it may not happen until the end of the year, but would it be that much? Well, we have this interesting thing that's happening right now, Jeff, that hasn't happened. Again, we're looking back over our shoulder 40 years, and that is, you know, bonds and interest rates were really high in the early 80s, and then they crept down, 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 down through all the way, all the way through basically all of 2020. And then they kind of hung out at zero for a while. Bond rates did. That's why CDs paid almost nothing and treasury bills were not much better. Then Jerome Powell in March of this year starts raising interest rates. And now all of a sudden, you know, we can actually go out and buy a three-month treasury bill that'll yield about 4%. And we haven't seen that in a long time. And what that does then is put additional pressure on the stock market because as you start looking at what companies are earning and what the multiples are looking like and what the compression is going to be into next year or this year now that we're we're in it. It could be that, you know, the market does have some more pretty good downside pressure because people are going to bail out of there and go get something that's guaranteed. And they're not done raising rates yet, I think, <laughs> is the other part, you know. So right now it's 4%, but what if they kick rates two or three more times, you know? What if you can get 5% with a three-month commitment? You know, I think I think there's a lot of people out there that are like, you know, I don't really need the headache of the market if I can get 5% guaranteed. And, you know, certainly if it goes, I mean, because it could go higher than 5 If they really break this thing the way they need to, you know, we could see maybe even 5.5, maybe even as high as 6. There's a lot of previous Fed presidents from the 80s and 90s and 2000s that have weighed in on this. And there's been people calling for as high as 9% on the Fed funds rate. I don't think it's going to take that much, but I don't think, you know, five, five and a half is right around the corner. I mean, we're at four and a quarter now. So it sounds like even with the dire news, there are some buying opportunities here. Let me ask you this. Those people who have been your clients for a while at Floyd Financial Group, I know that you put them in plans. When you check in with them, are they really that worried about what's happening in the market right now? Or have you protected them in such a way that something like this is just a a minor annoyance and not a life-changing event? So clients that are already clients, almost all of our reviews are ones of relief, meaning they come in and they know the market's down and we kind of show them where everything's at. And they're like, oh, wow, that's quite a bit better than I was expecting. People that are not current clients are very concerned and for good reason in most cases, especially if they're still in their employer-sponsored plan with you know whatever kind of investment mix the HR person designated for them. You know, a lot of those people are are concerned. You know, and uh, certainly if they haven't looked at their risk tolerance on there in a while, you know, some of the retirees are still allocated like they're 35. 
and those types of portfolios with small and mid caps, international opportunities, funds, things like that were down, you know, in September, they were down 30 and 32%, which is a big number, especially if you're getting close to retirement. So, you know, because of the way our plan is set up, we're set up to kind of thrive on the volatility. So as we get volatility from the market, by curbing some of those losses and still getting a lot of the gain when markets come back, we can we can kind of use the market cycle against itself. And that's the, the essence of how our plan works is we're not putting the money in the stock market needing it to go up necessarily, right? The market can do what it needs to do and our plan will function in such a way that if markets go down, we're going to be protected. If markets go up, we're going to get our fair share. And, you know, it just takes a lot of the guesswork out, takes a lot of the white knuckle roller coaster ride out of the market. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about current events here on the radio program today and the fact that if you have a plan, you can weather these financial storms. But if you're listening to this right now and you go, you know, I don't have a plan. I'd like to get a plan. wonder how I can get a plan. Well, it's quite simple. All you got to do is call Floyd Financial Group. And here is that number, 417-889-7233. Talk to the lovely Ashley out there and schedule your appointment to sit down and talk with Randy and Jake. There's no cost, no obligation, most important. There is no judgment. There are people just like you and me who want to help you get to where you need to be with your money and in retirement. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Before we break for this segment, I want to sort of tease the next one with a little fascinating fun fact about money, gentlemen. I read that one bill... One bill weighs one gram, 454 bills equals a pound. That seems pretty lightweight to me, <laughs> you know. Well, I think that that was before it's been handled and had all that body oil on it, and it's been soaked in the water and the grease and the cocaine and everything it's, it's, else out yeah, but, there. Yeah, but then it, then it gets run through the wash at least two or three times, so I, I don't know. Talk about laundering money there. Yeah. This means if, if you have a million dollars in singles, it would weigh over a ton. Is that right? Right? That is amazing. A suitcase of a million dollars in $100 bills weighs more than 20 pounds. So when you see in these movies and so forth where the guy hands somebody else a suitcase, you got to realize that that weighs about 20 pounds. Anyway, that is a fascinating fun fact about money that we hope you enjoyed. We're going to explore more of those when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And hey, Jeff, we're going to continue in some fun facts about money. And you're going to love this first one. And that is that, guess what? The Federal Reserve is missing two out of three $100 bills that they printed. Now, well, think about that. Where do you think those are? I'm telling you, I hold on to my $100 bills, but if you're missing two-thirds of the $100 bills, where do those go? Do you think people are just saving them? I mean, taking them out of circulation or they overseas? That seems to be a very strange fact. Well, I would think that there would be people, yes, that would be hoarding those. You know, with us being the world's reserve currency, you know, as long as that's the fact... I mean, that's going to be the best currency to hang on to. So if we have people that are actually hoarding money, and if you realize that the United States is about 4% of the world's population, wouldn't it be hard for them to, uh, you know, really suck up a bunch of $100 bills around the globe, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But I mean, if you're herding sheep on the side of a mountain someplace in uh, Asia or India or something like that, what are $100 bills going to do for you? I would think that $100 bills probably is not the currency that you would want to be dealing in. Well, you can get a generator, uh, you can fill it full of diesel, and you can get you a hot tub and find some spring water. I guess. Jake and I were on the hillside. <laughs> Jake and I were talking one time about the fact that uh, you know currency as we know money that like we know it that is not the most common form of currency in the world, is it? Yeah, one of our fun facts here is that only about eight percent of mm. all the currency out there is physical currency, meaning ninety-two percent of it is digital. And this is oh. something that we talk about a lot of times with our clients is. People feel good about having cash, but your cash is already only a representation of a digital dollar. Okay. I think a lot of people think of their cash as the actual money, but it's really just a marker like it used to be for gold, but it's just a marker for a digital asset. And I think that most people perceive it to be the other way around. And so a $100 bill or, you know, a few ounces of gold or Bitcoin only has value because we've decided that it does. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inherently there that makes it have value. What gives the, the dollar value is our productivity as a nation and the productivity of the American people and the ingenuity of the American people. And I think that's why the dollar is so strong. A lot of people come in thinking that the dollar is very weak. The dollar is actually as strong as it's been ever, really, and only continues to get stronger. And as the market corrects more and more, the dollar will continue to get stronger. And a lot of people are like, well, that's a good thing, right? Well, to a point, the problem is, is when the dollar gets strong, it makes it less attractive for people to spend money with us. So buy things from the United States or vacation in the United States becomes more expensive versus their currency. And so there's a balance like with anything. But that's the fun fact is that only 8% of the money out there is physical money. The rest is digital. And I was thinking that the answer to that was because, as I said, you know, you're on the side of a mountain or something. Money doesn't really mean that much to you. You're trading another currency. I don't know about you, Randy, but when I was a kid, I mean, my grandfather and grandmother would trade things like eggs for milk and that was their currency they really didn't need money was that the case with you down in bradleyville oh yeah for sure i mean i remember you know early in the morning when we would roll down the road there's two things i remember if we were out early in the morning driving one of those is all of the little tortoises that were always on the road yeah i guess they're tortoises right I don't they're know. not actually turtles you know the little box turtles we oh call yeah them around here yeah i think they're actually a tortoise aren't they they're not really a turtle. i don't know so Somebody will anyway, write in and tell no, us. I, yeah, you somebody just, will tell you, us. You just ruined my dream. I thought they, I always thought they were turtles. Like, <laughs> like finding out about Mr. Claus here. I thought Uh-oh. turtles were, you know, were water and then tortoises were land or something like that. But anyway, I don't know. Well, whatever. I don't know. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows those little things that are on the road that you have to try to avoid hitting, you know. Correct. And then the other thing I remember was all the milk cans. And I'm talking about an actual, you know, steel can with the pop-off lid where people had milked their cattle and we had milk cans and we had cream cans because we would skim the cream and put into a smaller one because the cream brought more separated, you know. So that's a couple of things that I really remember (laughs) about currency. And then also we'd drive up and down the road and people would say, yeah, you know, we got eggs. And they'd say, we'll trade, you know. And so there was just... All sorts of things going on. And then you just knew who had chickens, who had turkeys, who had hogs. And in most cases, everybody had hogs and beef where I grew up, you know, because they were butchering at least 
two or three hogs a year and a couple of beefs a year to live on, you and know, that's plus about a two-acre garden. That's about all the land's good for down there. Yeah. <laughs> Just rock down there, man. Well, exactly. And, well, it's good for hunting. It's good to well, have sure. your own place and all that kind of thing. But I just yeah. mean you're not going to be growing, growing corn anything. down there. Yeah, I know that's what you meant, Jake. Let's continue here with fascinating fun facts about money. The next one is cash is dirty. I've always been told that, but when you really think about it, it can be pretty dirty. It's very dirty, and I think uh, there's been a lot of scientific studies done on this and some of the amazing things you can find on a dollar bill, especially the single dollar bills. You know, they've been around a long time. They've been in circulation a long time, and they tend to be treated with less care than a $100 bill. So, right. uh, you know, it's very, yeah, there's there's all kind. you wouldn't believe, and I don't want to gross anybody out, so we won't even go into it, but you wouldn't believe what you can find on a dollar bill. Yeah, how about the fact that the flu virus virus can live on a dollar bill for up to 17 days. So note to self, stop putting that money in your mouth when you're in a hurry at at the checkout line. (laughs) Or or, or don't don't do the the lick your finger and and flip through your bills. That's, uh, (laughs) I I think what's funny is there's people that do that that are germaphobes. Yeah. Yeah. Like they'll be wearing their mask to the grocery store and then they'll they'll pull out their money and and lick their (laughs) fingers as they go through it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Something doesn't add up here. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I want to throw out here. You know, there was this guy that I grew up with, and I can't even remember how I got to know him, but he was around our community a lot, and we would always end up talking about business and money as he would come by our little country store that we had, and we'd say something like, you know, you've heard the term cold hard cash, right? Yeah. And he would say, no, 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 no. It's warm and soft. Or or cash on the barrel head. I always wondered where these sayings came from, but I guess people used to use a barrel head as as a table to throw down their cash and do their trading on. So interesting. And there are a lot of yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of fun facts out there about money. And among them is there our next one here is I didn't know this is that before the Federal Reserve in 1933 printed money that each bank had its own money. They used to print their own money. Each bank did that. You know, looking back, I mean, you could see how. Back in the days of uh, Alias Smith and Jones, you remember that old oh, western? Yeah. Uh huh, I do. So some of the people on here will remember Alias Smith and Jones when they would go around. They were bank robbers, basically, and but you know they were the most you know, the most famous ones out there, supposedly, and they tried to go straight. But the interesting thing about that was is if you went around and you started hitting these banks, if those banks, if the actual ownership and collateral in in those banks were just people in the local community, that would be problematic. You know, if Jesse James started, you know, just hitting your banks all the time that would be difficult oh, yeah. today. Yeah, printing, <laughs> printing your own money at your own bank sounds uh, a little bit like the election system right now. <laughs> welcome back jake <laughs> i miss you when you're not on the show with uh, stuff like that but yeah you know i heard of a california town that you know they didn't have access to cash and they printed actually their money was made out of wood and still there's some of that stuff that you can buy on uh, ebay but again it's interesting that the federal reserve in 1913 before that that, banks printed their own money, so I wonder what that your bank. Wild. Yeah, I wonder what your bank would uh, make money out of these days. I don't know. Next fascinating fact here is the fact that Martha Washington. I didn't know that the only woman to appear on a U.S. currency note. Did you guys know that? No, I did not know that until I was reading it right here. I mean, that's pretty interesting to me. And honestly, you know, I guess who chooses and how do you choose who goes on a coin or a, a bill or whatever and Really, at the end of the day, 
who cares, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it spins the same. Now, I, I, I would think there are some coins with females on them, women on them, but, I, you know, yeah. as far as a currency note, that is the only one. Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, exactly. Wasn't she on that dime from uh, I believe Canada? so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's the thing I love about Canadian money is that, you know, you they have not only people, but you can get a Canadian. It has a moose on it. You know, there's a moose on a dollar bill in, in Canada or a Canadian currency. It's hard to bribe somebody when you've got a moose on a dollar bill. <laughs> I bet this picture of this moose will change your mind about that. Uh-huh. You know, I wouldn't know anything about that, Jeff. I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, this is just something that I've heard from Norm McDonald. Rest in peace, Norm. Next, when more than half the lottery tickets sold are bought by 5% of people. Only 5% of people buy half of the lottery tickets. I believe that. I'll yeah. say, I'll, I'll, that too. You know, not that it's, it's necessarily right or wrong. I'm not going to pass judgment on people for that. But I will say this, that we don't find many people that come in to see us that buy lottery tickets. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I think, you know, if you look at the odds of winning the lottery, okay, mm-hmm. or the odds of winning any kind of gambling in general. So, like, if you go to a land-based casino, the very best odds you're get, that you can get are going to be on the tables. But if you start playing slot machines, your average chance to win is in the 80% range mm-hmm. on the average machine. That's horrible. That means every time you spend a dollar, you're getting, you know, say, 85 cents back. But the lottery is 60%. The lottery is even worse. Now, wow. you can sleep better at night, maybe hoping that that money actually goes to the education fund where it's supposed to go. But at the same time, you're not going to win long term playing the lottery, playing scratchers. Right. All those, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the payback ratio is like 60 or 62 percent. I'm trying to remember the exact number right now off the top of my head. But we used to have there's a Casey's where our old office used to be. And we used to go over there and get Casey's pizza occasionally. And we'd sit inside the Casey's at their table back when they had tables. Mm-hmm. And we would eat our pizza. And, and what I would notice is, and I asked the cashiers about this, is there's so many people, though, that play those scratchers. It's crazy. Yeah. People that come in, you know, they'll come in and they'll get, you know, an energy drink and two scratchers. And they'll come in and they'll get cigarettes and scratchers. And they'll come in and they'll get one of those fireball buckets and scratchers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I think what's interesting, though, is they're they're spending this money on these things that we know you can't really make any money at. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of wonder why they don't have any money. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. But, you know, they always read about or see them on TV. These people have won the lottery and they think, well, it could be me. I don't know. I, I think there's a... It's the entertainment value. You guys, yeah. come on. You know but, what it is. It's but I also think, though, that there's a lot of people that just haven't done the math. Yeah. They play five $1 scratchers mm-hmm. a day. And the max prize on those scratchers is like $1,000 yeah. on a lot of the $1 ones, mm-hmm. which means <laughs> if, if you won the max prize every 200 days, which you won't even come close to that, but if you did, you're still just breaking even. If you actually look at the money you're spending on that stuff. Right. Well, um, you know, I also and again, think- every, everybody has their thing that they spend money on, right? Of that course. doesn't make any sense. I'm not, again, I'm not judging you, but I'm just saying that stuff is trying to kill you. You need to stop. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think one of the interesting things about this too is we'll we'll be sitting in meetings lots of times and people will say well you know we've got this and this and this unless of course we win the lottery yeah and then they say 
And then they and then they say, of course, you'd have to play the lottery if you were going to <laughs> That's win. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I have to admit, I, I, maybe I'm one of the few people, but I've never bought a lottery ticket. I just think that there are more predictable ways to make money. I'll just save it and do it the old-fashioned way. We're talking with uh, Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about some fun facts about money. We'll do this again sometime, gentlemen. It has been a lot of fun. Meantime, if you're listening to the program, you'd like a no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial plan with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group to get yours 417-889-7233. This is a great time of the year to do that. Get 2023 off to a good predictable start by getting in with Randy and Jake and sitting down for a financial plan. Again, no cost and no obligation. 417-889-7233 or you can request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Gentlemen, time for a break. We'll be right back with more of our show after this on 104.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about why it might not be a good idea to do a DIY, that's a do-it-yourself retirement. Now, there's a DIY channel on the cable network, gentlemen. I've seen it before, but I've never seen a show on investing your money on DIY. I mean, they teach you how to build a deck, you can paint your house, you can change your oil. There's a lot of things that you can do on your own with just a little bit of advice. You can watch a YouTube video. But investing is not one of those things. And really, there is a study that has been out year over year that shows that DIYers do not make as much money as someone who uses a financial advisor or a financial professional. Can you comment on that? Sure. I think number one, one of the most important things is when you're starting to manage uh, your own money, it's a very emotional thing. And you know, for us, and I think this is the case with any profession that people get into over time. You know, I'm sure the first time that a doctor goes in and they perform a surgery or they watch a surgery being performed, it's different than they've seen it the 500th time. Mm-hmm. And the emotion might not be quite as high as it would be the very first time. So I think there's a there's a lot of things there. Emotion can play into it. The other thing is Anything you do over and over and over again, you know, you tend to see all the nuances and learn all the little nooks and crannies that, that are in whatever occupation or whatever it is you're doing there. You you learn all those things. And then thirdly, just, you know, it's hard to know what it is you don't know. And you even have to even have to figure out what's the right question to ask and what really seems like at first blush when you first look at it, oh, that's an obvious straight up answer. Eh, not so in the world of finance. I also think that even if an individual investor could match the return, there's so much more to investing than the return that you get. Like knowing how much money to take out, how to take it the most efficiently, you know, when to sell things, tax implications. There's a laundry list of things that you need to keep an eye on. Otherwise, if you make a mistake on taxes that costs you 25% of what you earned, that eats into your earnings really fast. The other thing is, you know, knowing in retirement what you take and where you take it from affects your health insurance premiums, your Medicare Part B if you're on Medicare, you know, just all the different little nuances that we know because we do this, you know, 20 times a week for people. It may not be something that that you are readily able to know all the things on just because you're going to you're going to retire once and and we're retiring five or six people a week in here, you know. So there's a lot of little things that you may not 
think about that can have a massive impact on the back end. Well, when you do things like build a deck, I mean, people do that themselves many times because they feel that it's going to cost them less money. Sometimes they'll change the oil in their car because they think it's going to cost less, when in reality, it really does not cost less. And I think that sometimes people do not use financial advisors because they think that if they do it themselves, it's going to cost less. But when you figure the returns that they get versus what a professional advisor is going to get, the economics really don't work out, do they? Well, in a year like 2022, where the market was down, as we talked about earlier, 19.4%. If you were invested heavily in technology and you were doing this yourself, and I and I and we know some people that were doing this stuff themselves and were invested in companies like even, uh, even good companies like, you know, Amazon, heavily invested in Tesla or maybe some of the less quality, some of the ARK innovation stocks like, you know, Robinhood and uh, Zoom and things like that. You know, some of those stocks, Carvana, you know, is down 98%. And there's a lot of stocks, though, that are lots and lots and lots of stocks that are down 90%. I mean, lots of them, not just like, well, there's one, you know, I mean, there's lots of them. I could, we could do a whole show on stocks that are down 90%. And I think that paying you know, 1% or whatever the advisory fee is, if you were down 5% versus being down 25% in your, with your plan where you were going for the gusto, obviously that's a, that's a win, right? If you were able to preserve money, which, which I would argue is probably more important than making a big number return is to not take a big negative in, especially once you're in retirement for reasons that we've talked about a lot on this show, but um, it's very hard to recover when you're taking money out if you have a big negative year, a 20 or 30 or 40% negative year. So we got to make sure that while it feels good to make a lot of money, usually if people have saved correctly and are withdrawing correctly, the big thing you have to take off the table is the big loss, not so much swinging for the fences and making big returns. Right. And I think we have to remember too, Jeff, that while we're working and while we're a youngster, you know, and I call a youngster anybody under 50, right? <laughs> so so yeah. when you're, when you're, when you're working and you have an income and you are saving money and you have a market downturn and you're not spending money out of those accounts and actually you're contributing and so is maybe your employer, you know, it looks a lot different than it does when all of a sudden now you've got to live out of your retirement savings. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this thing called sequence of returns all the time. In other words, how does that return come in the year I retire? And have I made the right decisions and the right moves not to overspend and get my balance to where I can't recover? And that's what Jake was alluding to uh, so perfectly there was that very thing. And so again, it boils down to a plan. And really, you know, it's not about you know, us being, like Jake says, sometimes a soothsayer and knowing exactly what's going to happen. What we're really going to do is we're going to build a plan that has a mathematical advantage. And that's really key. Well, and I think I think also, Randy, like we talked about, a lot of it's just experience. Again, right. most people will only retire once. If you retire one time and you start investing and doing your own thing one time, are you going to make mistakes? Of course. You're definitely going to make mistakes. 20 years ago, when Randy was first getting into this business, he was making mistakes and things happen. But that's why it's important to have all, how, how is the best way to learn something? You know, uh, when, when your kid's growing up and he's jumping off of big boulders and stuff, Yeah. you know, what's the best way to learn? It's not you going, hey, don't do that. It's him falling and getting himself bloodied up a little bit. Right. And then next time he's like, oh, 
that's why I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> and so, again, investing is similar to that. Um, the biggest thing is you don't want somebody experimenting and trying their first time on your retirement. And if you're doing it yourself, that's exactly what you're doing. And another thing that comes to mind, I mean, there are a lot of tools that you have available to you as a registered investment advisor or a financial professional that the average person cannot take advantage of, right? Yeah, there's several things that are out there that are available to a financial professional. I mean, when it comes to stocks and it comes to bonds and things of that nature, you know, people can go out and pretty much do that on their own. But if you're looking for any type of a, a tool that's going to give you a hedge or or give you a little more upside potential while giving you that downside protection, I mean, that's going to be hard for them to find and, and engineer. Now, can it be done? They absolutely can if they want to go out and, again, really get educated in the options trade. And yeah, they can certainly do it. And I also think think, Jeff, that information is definitely available today. The problem is, is most people don't have any idea what to do with that information. You can find any statistic about the market or any piece of data, and you can find 50 different opinions on it if you're surfing the web, you know? Right. And I think that a lot of that has to do with context, right? It's not that everybody's wrong and one person's right. It's more, how does it apply to your situation and what should we be guarding against and what should we be leaning into in your specific retirement plan. And and honestly, that can be different for everybody, uh, not just even within retirees. It depends on what your goals are. It depends on how much you've saved. It depends on, you know, do you want to spend more now and less later? Or do you want to really save and leave your kids and grandkids a big inheritance? And all those things play in to the plan that we put together to make sure that your goals are going to be accomplished the way you want them to be. Yeah. And one other thing I'd like to throw out here, Jeff, is this too. You know, sometimes when people and let's say this, the system has set them up for this. So when you go out and you look at your 401k plan and you're picking what to invest in, you know, most people don't take the time to get underneath the hood and see what's in that particular mutual fund and then the, the mid cap and the small cap, and they're not looking at all that stuff. So what they're looking at is what's the average return been over history. So if we look back here now, you know, there's like something like 30,000 mutual funds out there, right? 30,000. So nobody could possibly do all the research on all that. But here's the other thing about it. When I look at, at a return and it'll show the one year, three year, five year, and sometimes it'll say since inception. And one of the questions we get all the time is, well, what is your, what's your average yearly return? Well, there, there really is no such thing if you're just invested purely in the stock market, because depending on where you measured from makes all the difference. So if you had invested your money on March 3rd of 2009, the bottom of the market had just passed. And then forward through February of 2020, there was a few downturns, but that was a pretty stinking good rocket ship ride mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, straight you're, up. You're you know? up like almost 600% from that point. Right. But if you measured from the top in 2007, you're up low single digits average return. And so that 18 month difference made all the, all the, all the difference. And I think a lot of people want to say, well, you know, how'd you do last year? How'd you do this year? How, how are you doing, you know, in the last three months or, uh, you know, how, how's it been since the inception of the mutual fund in 1950? Um, the, the answer to this, none of that really matters. What, what matters is that you have the, the plan in place. And like Randy said, it's very important not to choose funds or invest strategies based solely on previous return. There's something called the periodic table uh, of investments, basically, where they, they put this, um, this chart out every year that ranks all the different asset classes. So high yield bonds, government bonds, 
cash to stocks, large cap stocks, international stocks, emerging market stocks, and it takes those as a whole and ranks them from best to worst. And if you look at a chart like that on a 20-year history, what you'll notice is that it's totally random. It's, there, it's all over the place. What did good last year is probably less likely to do good this year and vice versa. So if you just simply invest based on average return, that can really set you up for some problems. Uh, again, case in point, Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF. Okay, in 2021, and 2020 was a big year too, but her fund in, in 2021 was up 118%. So a lot of people piled in and were like, man, I want some of that. Well, Last year, it was down 80% hmm. from the high mid-2021. So again, if you're, if you're only investing based on previous return, that's it's not really a good strategy. There are strategies that are likely to return more than others, but simply choosing strategies based on previous return can, can really get you hurt if you're not careful. That's right. And you know, Jeff, you remember the, the, the old saying is, there, or a guy said, hey, how's the best way to uh, have a million dollars in the stock market? <laughs> One guy said, start with two. <laughs> and, the, and the other guy said... Always sell too soon. <laughs> no truer <laughs> words have ever been spoken. We're talking about <laughs> DIY investing with Randy and Jake here at Floyd Financial Group versus, you know, using a financial pro. And I'll throw this one in, too. If you've heard about these annuities and you think, well, I'm going to get myself one of those. Well, you can, as an individual, just call up the annuity company, the insurance company, get one of those. You do need a financial professional who is insurance licensed in order to take advantage of that. If you're listening to this conversation and you think you might want to take advantage of the experience and the opportunity, opportunities that Randy and Jake present at Floyd Financial Group, call 417-889-7233 for your no cost, no obligation, no judgment financial plan. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with the final portion of our show right here on my favorite radio station, 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about is it over? Is 2023 going to look better? And what's the uh, what's the prognosis, I guess, in general, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think nobody really knows. I mean, what's going to happen to the economy in 2023? Not everyone agrees that the global economy is heading for a recession, but some people do. So if you're listening to this program and you're wondering whether or not it's over, you just don't know what to do. Is there more pain ahead? What would you say is the number one thing that you can do to protect yourself from further pain down the road here in 2023? Well, number one, I want you to know that we are not the soothsayers and we're not the prognosticator of prognosticators. That is the gopher. No, it's the gopher. Whichever it's the groundhog. One. Yeah. yeah, it's the groundhog. Yeah. Puxatani Phil. <laughs> Phil, that's right. There it is. Or your Nostradamus, Nostradamus on this one. No. So anyway, the long and the short of it is, you know, uh, and we've kind of alluded to this earlier, we can turn on the television and we can watch Squawk Box Morning Joe, mm -hmm. Bloomberg, whoever it is you want to watch. And everybody will have an opinion. And the long and the short of it is all the opinions have some basis and are based on a lot of knowledge and a lot of information and a lot of calculation and algorithms. And here, let me lick my finger and hold it up and see which way the wind is blowing. <laughs> and a lot of those people giving those opinions have zero skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. Meaning, yeah. meaning they give you the opinion... And it doesn't matter if they're right. Yeah. 
So any given day, we can get all that information that we want. And so, you know, what we have to do here is we have to sort through all sorts of data and information every day. And then I want to be clear with people, too. It's not about, you know, well, this happened, so this is happening next. And this is absolutely what's going to happen. There's never a world in which that's true. Now, the general macro trend will generally play out based on certain attributes and measurements that are going on in the economy and what's happening at the time. But the problem we have is how long does it take for us to realize that macro? And can we as investors or you as investors or all of us combined, can we weather that storm? And is it worth weathering the storm? Or do we need to change and take a little less risk. And I'll just tell you, I think that, you know, the way we we build portfolios here now, it's a mathematical equation that helps us to really dilute the downside while we are still able to capture a lot of the upside. And that's the way to win in retirement. It's not about swinging for the fences and, you know, knocking it completely out of the park. And, you know, we just don't want to do that. We don't want to be Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. We just don't. We want to get, you know, base hits and drive in runs called income and preserve capital. You know, some people may not know this, but Babe Ruth, while he did hold the record for home runs, he also held the record for strikeouts. Yeah. You cannot yeah. afford to strike out in retirement. So mm-hmm. well, as good as it feels to hit a home run, we really got to be careful uh, because, you know, you can't afford to go back and, and build your wealth again when you're 65 getting ready to retire. Nor would you want to. No. Right. Well, the questions asked to a lot of economists have been things like, where's the job market going to go in 2023? Is there going to be a recession? What will the economy look like? How high will interest go in 2023? And the definitive answer is nobody really knows. I mean, when you think about 2022, at the beginning of 2022, you ask the economists, you know, when the clock turned from 21 to 22, you ask the economists, well, where are we headed? They said in the beginning, well, it's going to be a pretty good year. Inflation's going to be low. And you see how that turned out. The bottom line, is that nobody really knows until it happens. We may think that we've got some indicators to what's going to happen, but the truth is is that nobody really, really knows. And that's the importance of having a financial plan. So let's talk about that a little bit, the financial plan part of this. Someone comes into you and they've got, uh, oh, let's say a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000, and they say, Randy, Jake, I do not want to lose this money. Is there an opportunity to keep that money safe here in 2023 and still look for the opportunities for growth? growth where they can be found. Yeah, Jeff, the answer to that question is, you know, actually right now, because of how things have gone with the raising of interest rates, there are better opportunities for safe, and I mean safe money. You know, the the government, whether people think that the government is good, bad, indifferent, you know, the, what's those, what is it, the, the five words from the government, I'm here to help or something like that is, <laughs> is you know, them. most people say, oh, that's my biggest fear, right? Right. But there are opportunities that are afforded to us right now while we're watching to try to see markets, valuations get readjusted, see what earnings are going to do uh, based on people running out of money, maybe us actually seeing a recession. There's some places to park money right now where we can have safety and we can have some decent growth on our money. Now, we're not going to get rich there, but there's some 4% yields to be had out there. And I got to tell you, if you got your money parked at a bank right now in cash, and a lot of people do, you should give us a call here because we have some ways to put you in a position where you can make some money with your money and not have to put it 
actually at risk in the market. So it's really a pretty good time. But we have lots of tools that way all the time that we can use. So to get really specific, the best thing I can say is we need to have people come in, sit down, let's talk about where they are in their uh, plan to get to retirement. Are we five years out? Are we two years out? Are we one years out? Are we two months out? We have all those different types of equations that come in the door. And, uh, you know, we'll develop a plan and sit down with people, find out what they need for income, what's important to them, what retirement looks like to them, and uh, help them to fund that. Because that's ultimately what everybody wants. And to be sure of what, Jeff, they're not going to run out of money, run out of money. Yeah, that is what that is the biggest fear. I think most people have going into retirement is running out of money. I mean, that's even over death. I've heard that so many times. People listening to this program and people listening to it for the first time, I think, are realizing that you're really good with investing people's money. You've helped an awful lot of people out there. But can you also help people with the more, I'm going to say, granular or minute things that go into retirement? And that is such as how should I file for Social Security? What's Medicare all about? Those sort of things. Sure thing. I mean, it's something that people don't realize all the little moving parts that are out there. I got a call from uh, a guy last week and he said, hey, why is my Medicare costing me $576 a month? Yeah. And I said, well, did you sell something last year? He said, yeah, I sold a farm for $700,000. I said, ding, 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 ding. There's your answer. Mm -hmm. I said, a lot of people don't realize that once you have a big spike in income like that and you have a huge capital gain and that counts as income and IRMA... That's the uh, oh, the short for the income adjustment on your Medicare payments. Basically, Irma comes to get you for a year. And mm-hmm. so basically, when you file your taxes, let's say you've sold the farm in December, you filed your taxes in April, about November of the following year, uh, the IRS goes, oh, wow, they had a big gain. So they owe us a lot more for Medicare. That'll run one more year because the next year when you file and you don't have that big capital gain out there, that next November, they're going to shut you back down and take you back down to the, the normal amount of Medicare Part B, as in boy, that you would have to pay. But that's just one of the things that comes up. You know, there's many, many things that, that come into play. Like you said, Social Security, when should I take it? You know, pension, do I take a lump sum? Do right. I take the monthly payment? If I take the monthly payment, does 100% go to my spouse or 50%? You know, all these different things that come into play that we're just used to looking at every day. And we have kind of like a little checkbox that I've developed right. over the last 15 years that most of my staff, they say, well, that's a little antiquated, Randy. You need to do that on the computer. But, <laughs> you know, for me, for me, it's still uh, it's well, yeah. paper. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are a lot of things out there waiting to bite you, and most of them are from the government. But uh, <laughs> we want to we want to help navigate that. And like his example about selling a farm, there are ways to get around that as well to where yeah. not only can you kick the capital gain down the road, but avoid the Medicare thing. You know, it depends on your situation and what you're wanting to do with the land. So, you know, I don't want to give a bunch of broad solutions here, but I think that these are all things that we can help with and that we can have conversation about. If you're listening and you're already a client and some of this stuff comes up, you know, we're happy to sit down and talk before you make any of those major decisions and see if there's anything to say, hey, it won't cost you anything to sit down. It makes our job easier to execute a plan when we're in the loop on what people, what's going on in people's lives. That's why the the review process is so important, you know, that Randy has talked about uh, during the five steps. And I've always said too, you do not have a plan unless you have a plan for long-term care. And that's something that you really excel at there at Floyd Financial Group is uh, keeping people from losing the family farm or losing their home or, you know, just losing everything they've got to the nursing home. And, uh, you know, we've discussed this before. We'll discuss it again in a future show. There are so many re 
reasons why people listening to this program should call Floyd Financial Group and ask for their no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial plan. And that's something that I want to underline, too, is no judgment. I mean, Randy and Jake are not going to sit here and go, is this all you have? Or, you know, you haven't saved your money well enough. You you weren't a good steward of your money. That is not going to happen. There are people just like us. We're human beings just trying to help each other. If you would like to have a no-cost, no-obligation financial plan with Randy and Jake, call 417-889-7233. Get on the calendar. Do it sooner than later. You'll be glad you did. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Gentlemen, out of time for this week, I want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I want to thank the fine people here, the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.